happy to be hosting this very first episode of our podcast on impact investing in agriculture. And for this very first event, we have here with us Sean Kidney. Sean is the CEO of the Climate Bonds Initiative, an international NGO working to mobilize global capital for climate action. Sean is a member of several boards and projects, um, and to name one, he's a member of the European Commission's platform on sustainable finance, which as I understand has been taking up a lot of, a lot of his time as well. And I'm sure he will, will be talking a little bit to us about, about his job there. In 2016, he was named the Environmental Finance Magazine's Personality of the Year. And in, from 2017 to 2019, was voted Global Capital Magazine's most influential champion of the sustainable finance market. Sean, it's a great pleasure to have us, to have you with us here today. Um, and, and to start, Sean, how, I mean, over the years since you began this very important project, how much change have you seen in terms of, of, of new funds looking to cause an impact in, in different industries across the globe, but perhaps specifically in agriculture? Hmm, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to say I'm a, I'm a fixed income side. I'm not really an equity side. There have been some equity funds like Althelia that was set up a few years ago by Christian Duval and my friend which um, invested in LATAM and Africa and equities. But uh, I'm going to say on the equity side, Christian, I don't have a clue. That's your, that's, that's your kind of area of work. On the fixed income side, I can tell you no one, zero, nada, 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 has a focus on agriculture in that sense. What they have a focus on is green. Now, that is a deliberate, on our part, strategy to encourage we don't necessarily think we're going to grow capital flows to necessary agricultural investments by getting people to engage at a deep level with agricultural investments. On the equity side, different angle, I accept that. On the bond side, what we want them, what we want to do is to create a huge, large liquid asset class called green bonds or green and climate and related bonds. And then suck in product from all over the place, including debt finance for agriculture. And we use a tool called a taxonomy, or at least in European parlance, it's called a taxonomy of green definitions, to slowly but surely widen the pool of investments that are called green to where they need to be, which as you all know, because you are aware of this more than anyone, is a very broad selection of investments consistent of achieving our Paris Agreement goals and our biodiversity and, cap and natural capital goals as part of all of that. So the secret here is not to create specialism in agriculture, although that will be needed to make this work in the long run. The secret here is to create unbelievable demand in green with agriculture being a small piece of it that didn't get sucked in. Does it make sense? It, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, when, when, when one is looking to finance, when you look, look, one is looking for a, a uh, uh, you know, potentially issue a, a green bond and one has a project in agriculture, 
what what do you think are the most important aspects for the project to be to be certified to be considered so what we've done is we've published minimal criteria for agricultural investments to become part of the broader green investments and they're all available on our website and there's a variation being negotiated i think the best way to put it in the european union's taxonomy of of sustainable investments um, so there's some minimal requirements i mean carbon we know we're highly focused on carbon so we do expect that in for investments to qualify, they need to be measuring carbon, they need to be improving carbon as one of the basic measures here. Of course, there are other issues that are relevant. We've got to be watching for collateral damage. You know, you can't be having agricultural investments that involve deforestation. So there are exclusions where we've seen, um, where we've seen uh, in Brazil, people try to do green investments for say livestock ranching, on land that's been deforested in the last 10 years. You just can't do that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of work to be done on further identifying rules in here, but the minimal requirement uh, is carbon. There are, some, there are some specific areas we've done further work on. So for example, in Mexico, we've published criteria for what we call protected agriculture in Mexico which looks at things like greenhouses and what are the rules around greenhouses. Now, greenhouses in Mexico are really good to promote because they're zero energy. They don't take, you know, it's just using sunlight. Whereas if you're running a greenhouse in Netherlands, it's very energy intensive. You know, a tomato from Mexico has got a lower carbon footprint in England than a tomato from the Netherlands, even take into account the 747 flight costs because of the amount of embodied energy in those greenhouses. So rules like this, We've included in there rules about pesticide use or reduction in pesticide use and fertilizer use and, and so on. So we have a criteria around a specific type of agriculture, which is already established and already out there. Uh, we've just finished, uh, published criteria around livestock. Our view when it comes to meat is on one hand, a minimal consumption of meat is something is a place we've got to get to our view is not in, it doesn't need to be zero meat in the sense there are some landscapes that are adapted to livestock pumpers or, or grasslands and in those places running herds of of cattle or 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 animals on them actually improves the carbon management of those landscapes so you've got to bear that in mind but it's tiny right compared to the kind of meat usage we have now so there's a small scope but on the other hand, we've got to get people there. It's no point at putting out criteria for something which maybe will get a quarter of a bond done in 20 years. We need to grow a market and we need to shift markets. We need to drive a transition. And so what we've done is put out criteria for livestock that are about density, around carbon and around other factors like deforestation and included things like animal welfare provisions as well in there. Um, so that there is an option for meat producers in countries, but we expect constant improvement and constant toughening of the criteria out to 2050. So it's very much a, a transition approach. In agriculture, uh, in broader agriculture, we've got some draft criteria that have been published too. We focus on perennial and non-perennial crop production, for example. We're not looking at the supply chain yet. 
more week complicado. We've got to take a bit more time, but we have ambition to tackle that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's complicated. I'm not going to say there's a very simple answer. I'm going to say the climate is the primary filter for us, but there are other filters in there, such as pesticides in Mexico uh, going forward. And our goal is to slowly but surely further elaborate criteria that are robust, but not very exclusive. We can't afford to have criteria which says only these few plots in northern Brazil count. We've got to be able to shift the industry, which means we will keep tightening and keep adjusting as we go on, as we get demand. So we want to try and get reasonably large-scale engagement in this sector. We are getting it. You know, in Brazil, we've signed an MOU with the Minister of Agriculture that they're going to support agricultural criteria. Whoa, that was a win. And look to see how they can promote the right kind of standards to ensure investments that will qualify under Clompon certification in Brazil, in the area. We've seen some interesting moves by some of the big agri-producers who are the ones who can do bonds because small producers can't do bonds, right? The club ends of the world. Um, they, weren't, they weren't certified bonds, but it's interesting what they're doing, Susano, et cetera, in these areas. So uh, we're trying to promote that. We're trying to encourage better practice as distinct from ideal practice. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't ideal practice. Of course there is. Regenerative agriculture, you know, the use of orga organics subject to not encouraging more um, transport fuels. You know, one of the problems about organics in some countries is because the productivity is so much lower, their fossil fuel impact is much higher as a result. So you've got to shift to electric vehicles. You know, there's a whole lot of things that are interrelated here. At this point, Cristiano, I look to you because you're an expert. I'm not. I'm not running an organization and we bring together experts to then define the criteria. Uh, you know, in the agriculture criteria, we had people from a variety of universities, from CGIAR, from even BT Rio, uh, as part of that group to define the criteria. They do it, it's a consensus uh, job for them. And then we put those out to public consultation and then subject to the feedback, they go out as criteria for certification going forward. And so it's folks like you that know what to do here, much better than I do. What I do know is that capital institutional investors are now very, very keen. We've managed to make them excited about green. We've managed to grow demand for these kinds of fixed income products to such scale they're getting over subscription rates of 10 and 12 times and they're getting cheaper pricing for green format versus vanilla format, even if they've got the same credit rating behind them. So we've got that. Now what we need to do is to bring more product into the market, which like I said, was what we aim to do, right? Grow a large, liquid, exciting green bond market and then drag in agriculture. And now's the time to look at what are the right kinds of agriculture-related investments that can take advantage of that market and get access to more investors going forward and, and get funded, whereas they might not get funded now. And that's why the promotional criteria, discussions like this are so important to me now. But I also want to make sure that we keep an eye on what we where we need to get to, which is way, way more ambitious than where we are today and even what we're doing in terms of trying to set minimal criteria for inclusion. You know, we need to, we need to have a totally different relationship to the landscapes that we have. We need to be thinking in 
well, it's in a crudely speaking, a sustainable fashion. But that means thinking about the soil and how it actually stays healthy instead of being depleted, how it captures its carbon, of course, and various other aspects about the soil, how we have a, a proper interrelationship <clears throat> between weather systems, between trees and between landscapes, how we ensure that the products we're producing are genuinely sustainable and sell accordingly, and how we look for opportunities, back to carbon again, as you can see, I'm very climate focused, to treat the landscape in a way where it becomes a vast carbon sink. According to CGIAR and FAO and others, we could be sequestering a third of the world's carbon with different land use practices. And that's excluding the stopping of destruction of habitat that's under, still underway around the world. You know, it's, it's a vast job. Will capital markets play a role? I'm not sure because the actual capital funding in this area is relatively small. It'll be useful. And I hope it'll be useful for people who are working in this area, particularly larger business. You know, in, in emerging markets, the FAO, Food and Agricultural Organization, did a study a few years ago, which suggested that with the application of capital of similar levels to richer countries in poorer countries, we could achieve five-fold increases in food production. That's interesting in a world that's going to be constrained. Constrained not just because of population, but constrained because we're going to get massive droughts and floods and collapses of agriculture in different parts of the world in spotty ways as a function of volatile climate change. So we're going to need to overproduce in some parts of the world to be able to feed in other parts of the world going forward. So this increase in production levels is really, really important going forward. Plus, if we can increase productivity on some parts of the land, and still do it in a properly sustainable way, we can put aside more land to wilderness, to forestry growth, which we need to do for biodiversity reasons. We have seen as a destruction of level of biodiversity over the last hundred years, which is as big as the last great extinction on this planet, as a result of meteorites in Yucatan. You know, it's like, it's extraordinary what we've done. And as far as I can see, the only immediate thing is to put aside vast slabs of the planet across to wilderness reserve and keep out of them, or at least manage them. We, dare, we are now the, the overlords of the planet for better or for worse. So we need to manage them in a certain way, but ensure that they became havens biodiversity. You know, we did this in Chernobyl, funnily enough, as you'd know, where because of nuclear radioactivity, we've kept out of Chernobyl since late 1980s. And it is now an incredible feast of wildlife. It's only taken that long to grow back. And there aren't many two-headed dogs and so on. That's been, that's a bit of a myth really. Um, but the point is, if we put aside land for wilderness like this, and I appreciate in Brazil, you already have a lot of it, but in Europe, not so much. Uh, the US, not so much anymore. And the oceans, problematic, vast fishing trawlers scouring our oceans, lifting all the, you know, we have a massive destruction of wildlife in the oceans going away at the moment too. We've got to put 15% of the oceans, of the entire ocean aside at minimum for no fishing reserves to allow us to rebuild our fishing stocks. Mm -hmm. I'm rambling, Cristiano. You can no, see where we're going. It's, it's, it's very good. It's fascinating to listen to you, Sean. 
Um, there, there were a few things you said I'd like to, to go back to and, and, and discuss a little bit. Um, when you talk about those green bond deals being so heavily oversubscribed by institutional investors, when you talk about uh, uh, you know, a, a huge deal of it, thanks to you and the work of your organization, so congratulations for that. Um, how 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 can you increase the, the offer from from projects to to offer more more alternatives to offer more 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 projects so so there's more choice for institutional investors so how can your organization help doing that you know we have a particular role of the market we don't solve the whole picture. We are a piece of a puzzle. Organisations yours are another piece in a puzzle. So what we can do, and what we are doing, is getting investors focused on the idea. Most investors in our space, institutional investors in Paris or New York or Tokyo, do not understand the details of agriculture. They don't, they're not likely to understand, at least in the fixed income space, the details of agriculture. But they want to subscribe to a theme of being able to do well by doing good. So organizations like us serve as intermediaries, providing them guidance or working through governments like the European Commission or the Chinese government to then provide guidance to the market about what are qualifying investments. Now, what that means is we identify a universe of what qualifies, a reasonably broad and inclusive universe, and then we say, if it's in that universe, it's a priority. And it's lower risk, by the way, because it's less likely to be impacted by policy changes. If it's not in the universe, by all means, look at investing it, but understand that it's not a policy priority and may be impacted by policy changes. That's what we do. Now, for an organization that's working on the ground of investments in agriculture, They've now got a template to work towards, which is not going to be particularly surprising to someone like you. And they can then know that there's a preferential source of finance if they can get it together. It doesn't avoid the usual job of ensuring there's a return on investment, running a business and all those things. They still qualify. It just means if you do qualify, you're going to get easier access to get in front of people. There are some other caveats. You know, when it comes to debt finance, you need scale. So you need intermediaries. So the stuff we do, promoting green bonds, is not going to be useful for a small farmer in Mato Grosso. But it will be useful for the Banco do Brazil. And if the Banco do Brazil runs a sustainable farming program, then all the loans it makes in and under that program allow it to refinance on international debt markets with green bonds with preferential capital and various other mechanisms. By the way, Banco do Brazil is exactly looking at this at the moment, as are a number of other institutions in, in Brazil. So those intermediaries are the ones that we benefit most directly. It's a bit of a once removed before it benefits farmers or individual investors down the road. Of course, the rule sets that become common, hopefully become things that the Banco Brazil can use to do this work. The preferential capital can get passed. I'll give you an example in mortgages, where banks that have been raising green bonds 
on the back of green mortgages, as in green homes, have been able to offer a discount mortgage to those homes because they're getting discounts to the wholesale capital price. So a bank like Barclays, for example, offers a 25 basis points discount if you've got a home that qualifies. And we can see the same thing happening in all sectors of the economy. Now it's only 25 basis points. It's enough if you're looking for a mortgage because it's a bit of, quite a bit of money over 20 years. But it's not gonna do the things that really count, which is what government regulatory planning and enforcement needs to do. It can show governments that if we do X, Y, and Z, the invest private sector is going to be there to step in. If we grow X, investors will jump in. If we grow Y, there'll be fewer investors. So if you look at policy priorities, there's an incentive for governments to act. There's also an opportunity because governments are trying to do generally, there are a few honorable exceptions, of course, but generally they're trying to do the right thing but they don't know how to, they think it's too hard or they think they can't pay for it. So we're showing actually you can pay for it. No excuses here, the money's there. You just have to do X, Y, and Z, fiscally efficient measures to mobilize capital. That's a big part of our work. And so when we're talking with the Ministry of Agriculture in Brazil, we talk to them about what they can do to see capital mobilized around sustainable agriculture in Brazil without the government actually having to spend the money, if that makes sense. As it makes makes a lot of sense. Um, as, as you've brought up Brazil a few times, John. Uh, well, I can't help it. You're in Brazil. I have to say that, Cristiano. <laughs> uh, you, you have a team in Brazil. Um, you you um, you have a a project ongoing with the Ministry of Agriculture. Um, you and your team have dealt with with different Brazilian institutions, different Brazilian companies. So you have a, I, I guess you could say you have a, you have a knowledge of Brazilian agriculture a bit, a, a, fa a fair greater than the average person. Uh, what I want to ask you now, Sean, is what is your feeling? How do you feel uh, when you when you read uh, um, on the media? Um, and I could name a few of the big, big broadcasters, a big of few of the big newspapers around the globe when they talk about agriculture in Brazil. Knowing what you know and reading those papers, what is your feeling? Hey, it's a big country. <laughs> and there's a hell of a lot of variety. You know, I've met some wonderful people in Brazil. I'm not coming to you, Christian. I'm talking to others. <laughs> who are really committed and really working hard on sustainability. There are some brilliant examples of good work at a macro and a micro level, which needs support. There are equally examples of work which is trying, but nowhere near ambitious enough. That's common, that's common around the world. And there are examples of people who don't care a damn. So it's a variety. I'm gonna say it's a variety in most places. You should see the pig farmers of Denmark and the amount of emissions they create in a country that is otherwise very green. There are challenges in lots of places, in lots of industries and in lots of sectors. The inconsistency of direction from the government in Brazil is clearly an issue. There's a whole lot of activity going on 
which is illegal under Brazilian laws, which shouldn't be going on at the moment because they've been given the sense of a free pass, helped by the reduction of the footprint of the environmental regulators, thanks to government cuts in Brazil. So there's a lot of challenges at the moment, but at the same time, equally, some parts of the government, the Ministry of Agriculture, the Ministry of Infrastructure, I think are doing some really interesting work to try and grow this and ensure that the message gets out to Brazilian industry, that sustainability is the future. And this isn't just because it'd be nice to have a sustainable Brazil and all those things. It's because for their export economies, for their export markets, I should say, the sustainability of produce is now essential. You know, in China, one of the big export markets for Brazil, New Zealand is the favorite place because New Zealand is seen as 100% pure, which is an advertising slogan used in New Zealand. Not entirely true, but that's a matter, the right direction. Clean and green. There have been a lot of food scandals in China. People are very wary of domestic food. They're interested in overseas food that can be sure is clean and green, unadulterated, and sustainability is a big issue in China. I mean, climate change is a big issue in China. You know, a couple of years ago, Ant Financial, that is the largest payments provider in China, has 800 million, 900 million customers, I think. And people pay in China with their mobile phone, not for credit card. You tap it and usually Alipay or possibly one of the other systems is used. They rolled out in their payments app, a little module, which was a carbon counter. It was very cute. Every time you made a purchase, it tracked the carbon and you could cash the carbon in and Ant Financial would plant a tree for you. You could also swap carbon credits. It was like a, a games approach to a carbon market. It's very cool. They thought they'd try it out and see if they got any interest amongst their customers for it. In three months, 200 million people signed up. They care. And they continue to use it. They now have about 600 million customers using this carbon count, not air pollution, carbon. You know, in lots of places of the world, customers really care about different aspects of sustainability if it can be made easier. This is important for agricultural produce. People want to know about the sustainability of products. And I can say that from Europe or Australia or the US. It's a premium, but it's a pretty critically important premium. It's a prize that can be lost easily, as we saw with the meat scandal in Marfrig a couple of years ago. Sales can go down, it can be quite hard to get them back up if you lose it. You've got to work at it. A lot of companies in Brazil are working at it. It's laudable, it's impressive. I think there's more, to, more way to go, but that's the message we're trying to communicate to Brazilian producers. Sustainability is an export imperative. Sustainability for premium products is even more of an export imperative. So let's get the sustainability story right and make sure that everyone knows about it because it's not visible enough for people. Let's make Brazil a gold coin brand in the global agricultural market, not a bronze brand.
It's like it's like, like that story about Caesar's wife, isn't it? It's not enough for Caesar's wife to be to, to be loyal. She has to be seen as such. So it, it, it's uh, it's very important what you what you just said, um, Sean. I'm, I, you, you, your journey was most certainly fascinating from when you began talking about it to people who were completely clueless to this point nowadays when people start to understand, I would say, still starting to understand the importance of the work you've done. So talk to us, take us back a few, a good few years ago when you began that and, and what it was like and what has been this, this, this journey over the years. Wow. Cristiano, I'm not alone here, right? There's a whole lot of people working on this and they play different roles and parts. It's a movement, it's a, it's a mob of more and more people who are beginning to realize what's critical in life. I wasn't the first. I can remember speaking to a climate scientist in Australia in about 2005, 2004, who was retiring. And I asked him about his prognosis of the future. And he said to me, I'm afraid I'm worried about that. I'm not sure my grandchildren have a future. I'm not sure there is a future. And if you speak to climate scientists, that's still a story you hear. The changes we're making to this world are very severe. You know, the fact that of the total mammal biomass in the world at the moment, only 6% are wild beings. 14% are humans, I think it is, and 80% are farmed animals. That is an extraordinary impact on the planet. It's hard to fathom. Not to mention the extraordinary diminution of wild places where biodiversity can exist, and yet so much of what we do depends on that biodiversity. So this got me going. And in my midlife, when I was turning 50, I didn't dream of buying a Maserati. I ended up thinking about, well, what am I going to do to be useful for the rest of my life? And as you read, and I found myself at one stage of my life reading a lot about climate change, catastrophic climate change, and so on, you start to think, well, I'm not so sure I have any option. It's not a choice here. <laughs> when, the ha when you realize the house is on fire, you have to try and help to put out the fire. And that's what I'm doing. I'm just trying to help to put out the fire. I joined a crowd of people, which of course required me to think about, well, what can I do? <laughs> How can I help from the skill base and the skills I had? And that led me to think about working with capital. I'd worked at pension funds for many years in one of my other businesses. Pension funds take long-term views, much more so than other institutions in society and insurance funds as well. And they were cognizant of climate change and struggling if knowing what to do, what, what to do about it. But if brought to the table, they could be forces for change. So I got interested in the idea of mobilizing capital, not just capital to invest, but capital as a force for change. 
long-term capital. Mm -hmm. And that's what mm -hmm. we're doing. And in Brazil, we have a, I say Brazil because you're there, but it applies around the world. We have a council of investors and other parties dominated by pension funds and insurance companies who are taking a long view and who really want sustainable futures for Brazil and for the world. And they want sustainable products in their portfolios in the meantime. And that's essentially what we've been doing. Now, once you start to get going, you realize bonds are important. There's $100 trillion of bonds in the world. There's only $60 trillion of shares. So it's the bigger asset class, which yeah. is often ignored. Yeah. It is the primary asset class for pension funds and insurance funds. And we have other reasons to target those because of their long-term nature. It's not the way governments raise money. 55% of the $100 trillion in bonds in the world are sovereign bonds. It's a way to get to them if we can influence bond markets. And that's been the project. Now, when you start looking at this idea of how we shift capital, association of risk, negative and positive, with different sorts of investments has been key. But we've not done it to begin with. This has come later on. We've taken the approach, we're going to give you a choice. Cristiano, you can have a term deposit at a bank, or you can have a term deposit at a bank at exactly the same interest and credit, but this one, they would only use the money for green investments. What would you like to do, Cristiano? Up to you. It's, it's oh. a simple, it's an easy decision, isn't it? And we found a lot of people like that second choice. <laughs> yeah. Because a lot of people care but don't know what to do and there isn't much they can do, but they can do that. And that applies to pension fund and insurance fund and fund managers as well, just like everyone else. And that's the secret of how we got what is now $1.1 trillion global market in green bonds. Fantastic, fantastic, Sean. Fascinating. Uh, what would you be your, your message, okay, to, to entrepreneurs who are looking to, to um, start companies, start projects with, with, uh, with that type of mentality? What's your final message to investors who are, who are willing to, to support this, this ecosystem? What, 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 what do you have to say to, to, to these people? Well, at a macro level, at a larger level, I would say the sustainability of your portfolios is dependent on the sustainability of our ecosystems. The pandemic's an example, dare I say it. This is a pathogens rooted uh, that have jumped between species as a result of degraded environments. That's why we have a pandemic. There have been a few attempts like SARS and MERS in the past. This has been predicted by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change for 30 years. It's a function of climate change. Whenever we've had it in the past, we've had pandemics. There's going to be a lot of pandemics this century. Prepare yourselves. But note that the impact of climate is not just rising sea levels. It's also things like germs and pandemics. And as a result, the impact of climate is not going to be a slow warming of the atmosphere, more pleasant summers in Maine, in, U in the US of A. It's going to be a jagged line of volatility of economic crashes and economic booms and 
collapses and environmental crashes and so on. Things go haywire. In that context, it's very hard to make money, very hard to predict, unless you're trading by the minute. And let's face it, even then people get burnt. So we need to be looking to how to dampen that risk. We need to be reducing the likelihood of catastrophic volatility, which is what we're currently facing at the moment. And that means addressing climate change. That means getting emissions down. That means halting deforestation. That means shifting agriculture to a sustainable level. That's what we have to do. In other words, it's material to the ability of a pension fund to pay your pension, Cristiano, when you retire in 40 odd years. And that's the argument that everyone needs to understand at an investor level. At a company or issuer level or a small group. Well, look, how you take advantage of this increased appetite by investors will depend on your place in the financial ecosystem. This is much easier for Bank Itaú than it is for a small landholder. I've mentioned that before. But, you know, there's a sec something else going on here. As you become aware of the extent to which the house is on fire, you, we, we need to do something to help. As we become aware of the problems in agriculture, the problems in land use, the problems in all aspects of our society, we, of course, naturally, sensibly, want to find a way to help. It's incumbent upon us to do so. And this is not antithetical to being able to survive economically, rather the reverse. We're seeing evidence now. You know, in the next 30 years, there's going to be a massive boom of investment in sustainable investments. It's a rising tide. Shift your business, shift your activity, shift your worldview accordingly. Start to think in your area of work how you can ensure sustainability, how you can support the change we need for our children, for our loved ones. That's it. It's nothing more complicated than that, really, is it? Very good, Sean. Very good. Um, Sean, it has been a great pleasure talking to you. Uh, I'm sure all our listeners, anyone watching on, on our YouTube channel, must have enjoyed just as much as I, as I did. Thanks a lot. Carry on this, this very important work, this very important mission you have. And, and do feel, uh, um, do feel, feel proud that you are also, with your work, gathering more people around you, getting more people to join you. And, and so together we can carry on working and, and trying to make a difference. So thanks a lot. It was, was excellent having you with us today. Thanks for the time to talk, Cristiano. Good luck with your work. Thank you very much.